0: It is so good to get to worship with you guys this morning. I'm so glad to get to be here. Uh, it's always a good time to be in Texas, honestly. Can I get an amen for that one? That's right, you know. So uh, I'm from Dallas, Texas. I grew up uh, on the north side of Dallas in Carrollton and the colony in Frisco. Uh, and uh, I grew up the son of a pastor. So my dad's a pastor, and he started churches there on the north side of Dallas as those different suburbs were growing up in the 80s and 90s. And... Uh, they were always the earliest version of what I call cool church, right? That's what I grew up in. And at the time, you know, for, for what it was there in the late 80s and early 90s is now currently, decidedly not cool church any longer. But at the time, it was, it was pretty awesome. Uh, I mean, we, we had kind of the, the elementary school kind of rat tail mullet happening and the, the shaved in stair steps on the sideburns. Uh, we, were, we were super cool uh, back at the time, and so the church used all kinds of high technology also. Uh, we weren't singing out of hymnals, no, no. We had, we had the overhead projector you know, that looks like a giraffe uh, to me always. And I don't know why that was ever thought of as cool technology, you know, just having somebody up there changing the slides manually. But uh, that's in a museum somewhere now, I'm certain of it. Projector. It was uh, it was great. That's that's what I grew up in. Was this very early version of cool church and singing the earliest Hillsong songs in worship, uh, and yet at some point uh, in college and and through college and into seminary, I developed this passion for something I never knew about and didn't have any experience about, and it's just the historic Baptist church. I, uh, I went off to college at Washita Baptist University, uh, and the church at the time that I went to was Second Baptist Church of Arkadelphia, Arkansas. Decidedly different than what my experience was growing up. And so we opened up a hymnal one day and, and started singing. And I'm like, hey, there's some pretty good, some of these are pretty good. There, there's some things in here that are all, who wrote this? When was this written? Why haven't I been told about this? And seminary began to study the development of the Baptist Church in America Everything that's gone on, all the people who were saved in Great Awakenings. And the conviction that I came to wasn't about a certain style for church, you know, this one or that one. The conviction I came to is that style is somewhat irrelevant. All that matters for the changing of people's lives is the preaching of Scripture itself, is the work of God Himself. After all, Scripture says that faith comes by Hearing and hearing the Word of God. So I, I developed this idea. God put a passion in my heart of, what if I took on a historic Baptist church that still did an, an older, traditional style? And what if we didn't change a thing, but we started preaching Scripture and started going out and meeting our neighbors and sharing the gospel with people? What if we could still change the world and watch the Holy Spirit change lives and demonstrate truly that faith comes by hearing? So that's what I did, I sent, I sent my resume, it was time for I was a children's pastor for a long time in the Dallas area, North Dallas, uh, and a youth pastor and all sorts of things, uh, I, did, I did all sorts of crazy jobs in the church at one time or another, but when it came time for me to go pastor a church, I only sent my resume out to incredibly old churches, uh, I was looking for something uh, super old and historic that needed to see a better day, to do some kind of revitalization, a church that had a good season 50 years ago, 100 years ago, and say, but what if we just if we just preach scripture, and what if we just go and actually share the gospel with our neighbors and see if maybe our faith is not misplaced in trusting the word of God. And so I send my resume out to Talatha Baptist Church out in Aiken, South Carolina. I said, hey, listen, I'm looking for a historic Baptist church. I don't want to change anything about who it is, but does want to do lots of missions and evangelism. If that's you, give me a call. And they send an email back, the search committee, and they say, just one question, how do you feel about Southern gospel music? To which I responded, what's Southern gospel music? <laughs> I mean, I had no experience for that. No, cat- I might have could have told you the name Bill Gaither, but they love it at our church. And my, our, my worship pastor, is a, his day job is a radio DJ at the Southern gospel radio station. He is Mr. Southern gospel. And we have a great time worshiping the Lord together. And we've gotten to see many people come to trust Christ. This church that I get to pastor uh, that I found, I, I joke about being on the mission field. Uh, I live out amongst a foreign people groups uh, in South Carolina. It's like this whole other part of the country. Uh, it's, it's this whole other place out there. But it's incredible, and we're having a great time. They don't know about good Mexican food. Uh, they don't know about Tex-Mex, which is even better. And they don't do barbecue right. But we're spreading those gospels as well uh, in, in that place. But I found this great group of saints that had been worshiping there in the same spot since 1827. That is, Texas was Mexico. When that church started meeting, we would have been in Mexico here. When that church started meeting there uh, and worshiping Jesus Christ, proclaiming the gospel uh, and baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's incredible to get to be a part of. So that's, that's me, and you need to know that about me. And so as I come here today, uh, this feels like home, and I grew up here, but it's not what we're doing right now out there, and I'm just so glad to get to be with you guys today. So I tell you, they don't have, they don't have proper Tex-Mex, and they don't, know, they don't know about real good barbecue. Barbecue for them doesn't come off a cow, right? I, I know. Don't be thinking about that all day. Uh, I had Stanley's yesterday, and uh, thank you, Jesus. It was, it was amazing. It was very good. But another thing, there's... There's something that I always hate to hear uh, when I'm out at a restaurant, and there's just one phrase that I I just never want to hear. I go to a restaurant and I'm thirsty, and if somebody says to me, is Pepsi okay? You know what, it's not okay, bring me water. Eye contact directly, no, tap water, make it tepid. It's better than Pepsi. Pepsi's from North Carolina, and it really is a southeastern thing. There's so much more Pepsi going on out there uh, than there is out here. You guys are Dr. Pepper fans, and that's cool. I get it. I went to the Dr. Pepper Museum in Waco when I was growing up. When did Waco become a cool place to go, right? (laughs) When did that happen? When did Colt City become, like, Bed and Breakfast City? Anyway, that's... So, I go out to a restaurant, and I've got this thirst And I like Coke. I want a Coca-Cola. And they say, is Pepsi okay? And I say, that will most certainly not satisfy my thirst. I'm not interested. And that's the passage that we come to today in Scripture. It is all about having a craving, having a thirst that has gone unsatisfied. Jesus meets this woman as she is out at a well getting water, and his introduction to her is... I have living water for you. I have something that will really satisfy you, that will make you shudder when they say, is well water okay? No, because I have been satisfied by the living water. I want you to open in scripture to John chapter four. I actually have one of the pew Bibles. If you got one floating around there and you didn't bring your own Bible, you can open up and just follow right along with me. I'm here in the pew Bible. John chapter four, that is on page 888 the ESV translation, we're going to read about Jesus' encounter with this woman as she goes out to the well. Let's pray together, and then let's read Scripture. Father God, I pray that the reading of your Word and that the hearing of your Word would be worship to you today. Father, I pray that you would teach us something new about you so that we could worship you all the better. this I pray in your name. Amen. John chapter 4. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea, and he had departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. So Jesus wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well, and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give will never thirst again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come and draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. And she said, uh, The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, "'You were right in saying, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true.' And so the woman said to him, uh, "'Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship.' And Jesus said to her, "'Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father.' You worship what you do not know, and we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ, and that when He comes, He will tell us all things." And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is the word of the Lord for us today. The first thing that Jesus says to this woman is, if you knew who I was, you would have asked me for a living water. And this water that I have and give to people, once you drink of it, you no longer thirst again. It does away with thirst forever there is a thirst inside of each and every one of us. There's a craving and a desire. There is something inside of our lives that we need in order to be right and to be full. We have this spiritual need, and Scripture teaches us the only thing that can fill this need is in a real, genuine relationship with God. Scripture shows how we were all Adam and Eve were created in the beginning. God created man and woman and he created them perfectly, he created them in his own image. And they walked with him in the garden that they were part of their purpose was to walk with God, was to be with him in this real relationship. Just like you walk down the road with a child in your arms or holding hands, we were made to be in that kind of relationship with God. But sin broke this relationship. Adam and Eve were no longer able to walk with God in the garden. They were cast out because of their sin. This does not change the need that we have. We were made for walking with God. We have this thirst inside us that can only be filled by a real relationship with God. I knew a guy once, many years ago, when I was a children's pastor, and he was pretty cool. He was probably eight, ten years older than I was. Uh, very handsome guy, really successful. He had a beautiful wife, he had beautiful children. Uh, he was in finance, and he, he was very good at his job, so he was very affluent. He made, he made great income, he did great for himself. He was also kind of the guy who always had the newest BMW. He, he would go for a five series, and when the next five series came out, he'd just pitch that one, however old it was, and get the next one up, and that was sort of his thing. I mean, he's a very successful, cool guy. And then I heard once about how he was having to be checked into an inpatient clinic for alcoholism. He was having to go away and go into rehab for alcoholism. And when I talked to him, I, heard that I found out this wasn't the first time that he's had to do that. And I heard this man, Kenny, say specifically to me, he already knew what was going on in his life. He said, listen, what, what's wrong with me? I mean, I've got a great job. I'm good at it. I'm successful. I have a great wife, we have great healthy children, why can't I stop drinking? What, what is so broken inside of me? Why am I not okay? Listen, there's a thirst that is in each and every one of us, and it simply can't be satisfied by anything other than Christ. Neither bad things, evil, like alcoholism, nor can it be satisfied by inappropriate sexual relationships. There's no sin that can satisfy that need inside of our heart. But there's also no good thing that can satisfy that desire either. Being married is is a blessing from God, it's a gift from God. And yet, if you're hoping today, if you're single, if you're not married, and you're just thinking, you know, that's all I need in order to have fulfillment in life is to be married, you're incorrect. In fact, let me put it this way to you if you're single here today. If you are to ask Jesus Christ for a spouse, a good godly spouse, and you're just praying saying, Jesus, give me a good godly spouse. And in praying, Jesus, give me a good godly spouse, all you receive is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Will that be enough for you? Will you be satisfied in him alone? Let me ask you again about another good one. <laughs> Children are a blessing from God. My wife and I are a little over-blessed. We've got four kids, a six-year-old, a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a six-month-old. It seemed like a good idea at the time, right? And uh, we're, we're going to keep them, most of them. Depends on the day. The three younger ones are all boys, and so, yeah, one of them's, yeah, anyway. It's always nice, because, you know, our attitude is, if something happens to one of them, it's like, well, I got another one, you know, be all right. We've got more where that came from. Children are a blessing from God. There are many who find themselves unable to have children pray and cry out to God. You see this throughout Scripture and in our friendships and our lives today. We're unable to have children. Cry out God, God, why can't we have children? Give us children. Let me ask you today, if you pray and ask God for children, and all you receive in response is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the presence of the Holy Spirit powerfully in your life, will that be enough for you? Will you be satisfied with your Lord? I tell you, nothing else can satisfy you. There's nothing else that can fill the spiritual cravings that are in the lives of each of us other than God himself. There's no new toy. There's no new gadget. There is no new hobby. There is no set of projects or goals to simply keep you distracted in life that can keep you from needing to be fulfilled and that fulfillment coming in Christ alone. Jesus says to this woman, if you knew who I was, you would ask for the living water and I would give it to you. And this water would satisfy your thirst forever. He is offering her a repair for what happened in the garden when Adam and Eve were exiled. He is offering to her a relationship with him to meet her spiritual needs. But there's more than that. She says, all right, give it to me. Lay it on me. And Jesus says to this woman, go and grab your husband. It's a bit of a setup. And what's her response to this? She says, go get, go get your husband. And what's the response? I don't have a husband. Well, that's true, right? This is true well enough, but this is Jesus she's talking to, and he knows her life. He says, If right. You've been married multiple times, and you're living with a man now that you're not married to, so you're right in saying that. We not only have a spiritual need for Christ, a thirst for Him, we not only have to come to terms with our need for Him, we also need to come to terms with our own sinfulness. There are plenty of people around us who are willing to admit their sins like this woman is willing to admit hers. In the kindest possible light ever, I don't really have a problem. It's just sort of a thing. Nobody else knows about it, so it's not, it's not really an issue. I mean, th- this woman has been married to all sorts of people and is living with someone she's not married to. There's, there are several different layers about how she has not obeyed Christ. She has done wrong and is living wrong in this scenario. And her explanation for her life is simply, oh, I'm just not married right now. Let me ask you, do you whitewash your sins like this? When you're talking about and thinking about the sins in your life, do you confess them like, oh, yeah, that happened that one time, you know, it's not a big deal. It wasn't really sin. I was just thinking about, thinking about sin. Is this the way we treat ourselves and our own sin? It is incredible, the ability that we have to live in denial, uh, to judge everyone else by a fair standard and yet not judge ourselves by this standard, yet if you are going to receive Jesus Christ today, you're going to have to confess the reality of your sins, the reality of your sinfulness. Not just, yeah, yeah, I had a, had a drink that one time. To come to terms with, I'm broken. I'm an alcoholic. To come to terms with, yeah, you know, I, I looked at some inappropriate things that one time. But to actually say, I, I'm broken. I'm living in sin. I am not a guy who happened to sin that one time. I am a sinner. It's, it's who I am. I am on the wrong side of God. Having been a children's pastor, one of the things that… I mean, the biggest joy of getting to be a children's pastor is getting to counsel kids about their decision to trust Christ. It's just nothing… There's nothing better in the world than getting to talk with kids when they're making their first decision to trust Christ, teaching them the gospel, watching the gears spin in their head as you explain how everything works, how God created the universe and everything in it. He loves them dearly, but we're all sinners. And yet the good news is Jesus, before you were born, sweet child, already came and paid for all of your sins. But you need to put your trust in him and you need to offer your life to following after him. You, you want to talk about that? You ready to do that? so great to watch kids understand that. And then kids go, yeah, yeah, I'm in. I want to do that. I'm going to follow Jesus. There's no greater joy. And yet, in counseling children... As salvation is a complicated concept, and some kids very young can understand this, and sometimes it takes a little longer to understand this, and then at the end of the day, understanding it is not what saves a person, but believing and obeying is what saves a person. Uh, getting to counsel children, one early step that is difficult for children in understanding the gospel and being able to speak to it is actually being able to point to a concrete sin in their life. You can talk to a child and you say, so you know that God loves you very much, and they say, you yes, But you know that everyone's sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and they say, yes. I say, well, then what about you? What have you done wrong? What sin's been in your life? And it's the deer in headlights look. I have so much difficulty being able to recognize a specific sin in their life, but until you can recognize this, that I am in fact a sinner, that was sin, there is no salvation. (laughs) I mean, salvation from what? The more I shared the gospel with people, the more I went talking with people about Jesus Christ, the more I discovered this isn't just children. How about you? You who believe. Can you point to specific sin in your life? It's there. Are you so in denial that you don't even see it? We need to not only come to grips with the spiritual thirst that we all have for Christ, but we also need to confess the reality of sin in our own lives. For this woman's salvation, her sins must first be laid bare, and Jesus Christ does that. Friends, if you're having trouble with this this morning, if you feel blindsided by it or are uncertain what's going on in your life, good news, the Bible gives you a tool to use. The tool is this, a prayer in which you pray and say, Jesus, search me and know me. Search my heart. Point out to me where I am deficient. This is a prayer that you're going to get a lot of mileage out of in life as a Christian. As somebody who's following after Jesus Christ is saying, Jesus, search me. Know me. Where is the sin? Demonstrate to me. Let me see. Open my eyes to understand and judge myself rightly so that I can confess it, so that it can be forgiven, and so that I can move on living a worshipful life before you. Take this tool with you, saying, Jesus, search me and know me and point out where I am deficient. Immediately, this woman who is here at the well, being confronted with her sins, changes the subject ever so slightly. She says, well, I can see you're a prophet, so let's talk theology. I've got a question for you. You say we need to be worshiping over there. You Jews say we've got to worship over there. We Samaritans say we've got to be worshiping over here. Where is it? Which one are we worshiping out? And Jesus gives her an answer, uh, that there is a right answer, that that there in Israel, in the time of Israel before the coming of Christ, and here as Christ has now come, but before He has died on the cross, there is a right place to worship. They are to obey the Old Testament law, which says you are to go and worship there in Jerusalem. So He gives her the answer, but He points her to something even greater than that. He says, but you know what, don't even, that's the answer. You need to go to Jerusalem and worship in the temple just like the law says because you're under the law, but not for much longer. A time is coming, Jesus says to her, when the real worshipers are going to worship in spirit and truth. We recognize not only our spiritual thirst and we recognize not only our own actual sin in our life, I also need to recognize our misguided attempts to make ourselves right on our own she immediately turns to a theological question as if that can defer things or as if knowing the right place to worship is going to uh, solve her problem for her. Let's talk about theology or let's talk about right worship practices. Maybe I can go and worship in the right place and that's going to solve my problem that I have before God. That's going to get it right as if I could just understand and do right, I will have fixed my problem myself. I mean, We all have this propensity as well, to say, okay, I know I'm broken, I know I'm a sinful person, but I'm going to just do some right stuff, and it's going to be okay. I mean, I know that through a little bit of willpower, I can make this all right on my own. Um, I I was in high school, one of my high school jobs was making smoothies. It was a really cool job because I ate so many more smoothies than I made for other people. Like, I was, that was the goal. I was, I was a goal-driven person and a goal-setter. And the goal was, how much more smoothie can I eat myself than make for other people? And uh, I had regulars that came into my little smoothie shop. And uh, you know, there was these certain people after school, there was the after school crowd that came through and, and they got their smoothies. And then, then there was the after work crowd, and you know, the after work people come through and get their smoothies. There's always this one guy who, He was in his 50s. He kind of had the cool guy attitude. He came in for a smoothie, but he also wanted the shot of wheatgrass. It's a terrible idea, all right. But uh, you know, you got to grind. The, I had to grind the grass up for him into juice form so that he could apparently it's good for vitamins and minerals. It's not worth it, folks. It's just not. It wasn't worth it then. It's not worth it now. Just, just stick with the smoothie. Uh, that's the way to go. But he would come in and he'd do that. And this guy had the foulest mouth. I mean, he said the craziest stuff, I mean like invented things to say uh, in order to say vulgar things. And he was talking to me, and I'm a teenager, I was still in high school, he was talking to me uh, like the, I don't know, smoothie bartender personal life coach, and was saying stuff. Part of the reason is, I was this height, I was about 6'2 with a full beard when I was a freshman in high school. I had more hair on top, but, you know, I, I looked a, a little bit like an adult, even though I was, you know, like many other 6'2 or taller teenagers. I was kind of a man-child uh, at the time. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I had, the, I had the body of an adult. Anyway, I looked like an adult. And so he was talking to me, and it, one day, after two, three months of this, he stops in the middle of a story, one that doesn't need to be repeated. He stops in the middle of the story and goes, wait, how old are you? And I go, 17? He goes, what? What? Oh, oh, man, I'm sorry. I didn't, and then just reaches into his wallet and pulls out two 20s and throws them in the chip jar and never returns to the smoothie shop again. That was his propitiation for his sin was, "Uh, uh, uh, money, this will solve this. I mean, I doubled up at Chick-fil-A that night. I had two chicken sandwiches from the, so it was all right on my part, but. Have you ever tried to do this? How do you go about paying for what you've done wrong? You know you've made a mistake. You know you sin. sinned. How do you try to go about paying it? Throw some money at the problem? I real tragically knew a guy who um, was dying of cancer. This is more recent this is the last year. He was Dying of cancer. And he was, his mind was going and he was having difficult thinking, but he was trying to do something right for God here at the end of his life, knowing that he had not lived a right life. He knew this. I shared the gospel with him. He professed belief, but he, he was trying to have done something, to do something tangible. And the way it came out for this guy uh, was just trying to memorize the genealogy of Christ, the list of names there as it's given in Matthew. And it was the most unusual thing to go visit this guy in his home the week before he died, and he's trying his best to remember names, and he's got like 12, 13 generations down. I'm, I'm trying to talk to him, This you don't need to do this, this doesn't help. Our salvation is in Christ alone. We receive it from Christ by simply believing there's no small thing that you can do to make up for your sins yourself. And it was so sad to watch and see this. But my contention for you today is that we are all doing the same thing sometimes trying our best in our own small ways to do something right, to make ourselves feel better of our sin, or perhaps to create our own forgiveness for ourselves by trying to balance out things with doing well. Some people, it's like a trip to Israel. We're going to make the trip to Israel because it makes you feel good. It's kind of awesome and exciting. This is going to make me feel right before God. Some people's going on a mission trip, volunteer work, or even in parenting. Do you know a degenerate parent who... Their defense for themselves is, but I made it to all of my kids' games. Like, that's the, but I'm going to do something good. I'm going to make it to all of their games. Hey, that's great and all. Make it to as many as you can. But, I mean, that, parenting can't be reduced to this. And neither can your deficiencies and not loving your spouse, that child's mother or uh, father, and not being present in their lives be solved by the fact that you were in the bleachers to watch all of their games. We all have these misguided attempts to try and make ourselves right on our own, and you have to recognize it's just not possible. Her hope either to find the right place to worship so that she can be right to God, this woman at the well, or her hope to simply have a theological discussion and in that way have sort of made herself right in the eyes of Christ, is misguided completely, and Christ points that out to her. He says, the right worshipers are the ones who worship in spirit and truth. You can't do something right for yourself to forgive your sins. Moreover, you don't need to. Any bit of trying to do it betrays the fact that we don't believe that Jesus Christ's death was good enough for all of our sins. Is that what you're trying to do today? I have an alternate path for you, and that is this. Worship Jesus Christ in spirit and truth, and truth by believing the truth. Your need for Him, the reality of sin in your life, and your utter dependence and need for Him to do something in your life in order to make you right. Believe this and worship Him in spirit and in these truths. Put your hope in Jesus Christ as Lord today. That's how this passage ends, doesn't it? She finally says, you know, I know there's going to be a Messiah. I believe that at much, at at least. I believe that. There's going to be a Messiah who's going to come and who's going to teach us all things. And then Jesus says, that's me. You found him. You're talking to him. It's this guy. There are people out there who will say to you, oh, Jesus never claimed to be God in Scripture. And there are those who say, oh, Jesus never claimed to be God in Scripture. Go read Scripture. He does it right here. He says, no, no, I am Jesus Christ. I am Lord. I am the Messiah come from God to save you from your sins. It's right here. He says it to her. I am Jesus Christ, the Messiah. I am Lord. What do you need to do? Okay, you can't fix your own problem yourself. You can't fix this sin yourself. So what do you need to do to have forgiveness today? What do you need to do to be made Right? What do you need to do to have a changed life and to follow after Jesus rightly today? Simply believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and ask him for this living water. Ask him for forgiveness. This woman goes away from this encounter clearly changed. She asks, she believes, she goes and lives a different life and begins witnessing to everyone else that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's no question of this woman's salvation. It's absolutely present here in this text and just past it in verse 39. So, what do you need to do today? Scripture says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is raised, that He is alive today, that He is offering living water today Then cry out to him, Jesus is Lord. Offer your whole life to him as Lord. Finally, as I say, look down at verse 39. The woman's story doesn't end. It goes on. Many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, this is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. She goes to everyone from here and tells them about what Jesus Christ did, and they begin to believe. What's more, they all go to Christ for themselves and compel him to stay so that they can hear it for themselves, and they have their real conversion when they say, now we believe. We know he's the savior of the world, not just by your testimony, but now by our testimony, because we've heard his words from him himself. You who are saved today... Who is around you in your life? What brother, what sister, what family member, what neighbor, what coworker is around you today who needs to know this testimony? Go and tell them what Christ has done in your life once more. You too, just like this woman, can bring those people directly to the voice of Jesus Christ. It is the Word of God, Scripture itself, here with us. They can hear for themselves, not just to have believed by your testimony, which is a great start, but then also to believe because you can say, come take a look at this with me. Look at what Jesus Christ did, because faith comes by hearing. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you have let us be a part of the good work that you're doing, that we could even get to be a part of what you're doing in others' lives. Father God, if there's anyone here today who needs to profess you as Lord, strengthen them to do it. Father, Thank you so much that as Jesus proclaimed here, you want to save sinners. You want us to be saved. Such is your love for us. Father, help us to put our trust in you alone. As I pray in your name, amen.